Hi everyone, welcome to the Not A 10 podcast with Mary Griffin. You guys, this episode is unlike anyone I've ever done. Um, I think you guys are going to be so excited because I think a lot of my audience doesn't really know much about the pageant world. Um, Today, I have Sam Anderson with me. Who is Sam? Sam is a 2019 graduate of Virginia Tech, so you know you got to love her, and was actually crowned as Miss United States in 2021. Sam uses her platform to be a true advocate for women in aviation and is working towards her pilot license. And with that, she is a passionate traveler and uses her platform to make a difference in this world. And I'm just so lucky and excited to have Sam join us on the pod today. So Sam, thank you so much for being here. Happy to be here. Thank you. And go Hokies, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, go Hokies always. Yeah, I was like, okay, I already love her. Um, But yeah, I'm just so excited. I think a lot of my audiences are um, athletes, especially young athletes. So um, this is just like a world that I'm just so unfamiliar with. So I have a lot of questions for you. I was asking around to my friends. I was like, what do you guys want to know about Miss United States herself? Um, but they're really, really excited just as I am. So, um, I like to just kind of jump right in and this is like a fresh start, fresh beginning, really don't know much about you. So I'm excited to hear what you were like, what was growing up? Like what hobbies were you in, were you into? Um, where are you from? Things like that. All right. Um, a little bit of everything. So I grew up in Arizona. I was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. Absolutely loved it. I started my flight training out of the Auction Airport, which is in kind of in the middle of nowhere, Arizona, which is fine. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was just barely not a dirt field. And uh, I went to Desert Vista High School. I did Arizona State for two years, and then I ended up transferring to tech. And then I graduated from tech in May of 19, went and got my master's at Legal University in Montessori Studies. And then I came back to Virginia because I loved it too much and it's hard to stay away. Um, growing up, it was, I consider it normal, but everybody else is like, you had the most ridiculous childhood in the world. So here we go. Uh, my parents were both international pilots. My mom was a captain of the 747, 777, 87, 37. She flew pretty much everything Boeing and she was captain. My dad flew pretty much everything Airbus and he was first officer. So backtracking a little bit, my dad was a Vietnam veteran. He flew helicopters in Vietnam and came back home in his early twenties. And at some point along that story, met my mom, taught her how to fly. And she used to joke that flight lessons are really cheap when you're dating a flight instructor. And so they fell in love and my dad taught her how to fly. She went on to far and surpass him in the industry, which I thought was really cool. He kind of just gave her the key and showed her the door and was like, you go, I will handle the rest of it. So I always thought that it was really cool that I didn't have gender roles in my family I didn't have a oh did your mom cook did your mom do this would your mom like no my mom was a a kick butt lady and she was going out and doing her own thing my dad was the stay-at-home parent Uh, and by stay-at-home I mean the domestic pilot so if I cracked my head open which I've done fell out of a tree multiple times all of those things it was a oh let's call your mom she's gonna help you when you're hurt no you're not gonna call my mom she's somewhere between Shanghai Bangkok Seoul and Narita Uh, you're gonna call my dad and he's gonna take me to the hospital when I screw up inevitably as a child. Um, Yeah, my parents were great. I traveled with them all of the time. I took my first flight at about two weeks old. I had my first passport at about three months. It was more out of a necessity or sort of an emergency in case because my mom flew international routes. If for some reason they couldn't find a nanny or something like that, and I had to go international with them for one reason or another, I had a passport. So at least they checked all their boxes. So we were the very hyper-planned, overly calculated, but super spontaneous kind of family, kind of an oxymoron for sure. Um, A big motto of our family was why not? And because you can. So why not? I mean, why would you not fly from Phoenix to Sedona for breakfast? Uh, Why would you not go get your pilot's license, get your next level of pilot's license, jump out of a plane, go bungee jumping in Africa? Why would you not jump off of a cliff in New Zealand. I mean, why not? And because you can. So I lived a really fun and adventurous childhood traveling with my family. I remember my mom taking me to to China for the first time when I was like eight. And I remember seeing pandas and the Great Wall. And that was really fun. (laughs) So I, I had a really cool, super fun childhood having parents as pilots. When I was 16, they were like, 
We're not going to pressure you to fly if you don't want to. It kind of is our family thing. So at least we're going to dip your toes into it. And we flew for fun all the time. And I always flew right seat with my parents. And then my parents were like, you're old enough now. Let's at least get your first solo, which is when you fly the plane by yourself for the first time. It's very aptly named. It's kind of like four wheel drive. You don't really have to explain it. It's very easy. Uh, first solo, you're flying solo by yourself. Um, it's kind of the first step in the first level of one's pilot's license that they go through. So my parents said, just get it. If you don't like flying, we're not gonna pressure you to keep going, but we, them being my uh, flight instructors, it was cheaper and we had access to a plane. So really the biggest expense was some of the rental of the plane and the fuel to do so. So we did it. And I got my first solo under my parents' instruction. They both kind of tag teamed my instruction, which was awesome. It was really fun because my mom was so nervous to teach me how to drive, but she had no problem teaching me how to fly, which I thought was really funny. But in an airplane, if you are not familiar with smaller general, well, airplanes in general, um, you have the same amount of controls, right seat and left seat. So if you screw up on one side, your instructor can take the yoke and the rudders and, and go from there. One thing I did recently learn is that not every plane has toe brakes on either side as well. So like today I was flying this morning with my CFI and she was like, hey, just so you remember that if something goes wrong, I don't have toe brakes. So if you hand me the plane at any point, just remember I don't have those. And I was like, okay, cool, sounds good. Um, so she wouldn't teach me how to drive, but she teach me how to fly, no problem. So teaching me how to drive was my dad's problem. <laughs> um, uh, about eight months after I got my first solo, my parents actually were both killed in a plane crash. And it was an absolute freak accident. I really don't know what happened. The NTSB put out a, a report of some kind and I've read through it briefly. Honestly, I don't really want to read through the rest of it because it's a little too hard, but it was something to do with just a weather freak thing. I mean, the weather was fine. They were filed. I was supposed to go with them and I ended up not going with them. I got up that morning. My mom gave me the option. She was like, hey, do you want to sleep in tomorrow and go to church and then meet us at the airport? Or do you want to get up early and uh, come with us? And I was like, oh, eh, you know, I'll sleep in. I'm 17. I wanted to sleep in. So I did. And I heard them get up. I heard the coffee make going. And I thought, well, you're up anyways. You may as well go. So I pulled on a t-shirt and some jeans and I walked out my bedroom door and I heard like the, the house alarm, the beep, beep, beep of it. And they were out the door. And I was like, all right, well, I'll just catch them at the airport later on. So I went back to bed for a little bit, had some homework, went to church, saw my now adopted family and chatted with them for a little bit, came home, did more homework, went to the airport and waited and waited and waited and they never showed up. And it wasn't until five or six o'clock in the afternoon that I got the call that there was a crash and there were no survivors. So that was sort of in a nutshell, but I'm long-winded. I really could have a career as a pastor if I wanted to. Um, my childhood. So my parents were killed when I was in high school. That it was February of 2014. By April, I had won Miss Teen Arizona. I had taken four years to actually win my first title in the pageantry world. So that was the first one I had won. I had won like little city things here and there, but being Miss Arizona or Miss Teen Arizona rather was the goal that I had set. And my parents were like, well, we'll get your, our feet wet. I don't really know all of this girly pageant stuff anyways, but we'll, we'll do it. So we did for a couple of years and they never saw me win, but two months after they died, I won Miss Teen Arizona and it was one of the coolest years of my life. It's been eight years since and I'm still in pageantry, obviously. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, one, thank you so much just for sharing. Um, I'm not sure how many times you've told your story or um, that story particularly in general, but thank you just for being authentic and vulnerable and feeling comfortable enough to share that part of your life with, um, with us. So, I mean, there's just so much, I mean, first, I don't think your childhood was <laughs> normal. <It> was um, <laughs> Um, but just so interesting one. I love, I love a powerful woman. Like your mom is just everything. I feel like I would want to instill in myself and also like my future family. And, um, obviously has also instilled a lot of powerful, um, qualities in you that I see just from interacting with you this short time. Um, so that's just so powerful. And I think like really ahead of her time. And I really hope the direction that our society is also going in. Um, one thing I really wanted to touch on was how you talked about the lack of pressure you felt from your parents of getting into, um, flying. Do you think if that pressure was there, do you think it would be something that you're still passionate about today? 
I wonder. Uh, I mean, you lose somebody and so you reach for something that reminds you of them. So I mean, psychologically speaking, anybody would do that naturally. But I didn't fly for about eight months after my parents died. Well, okay, flew general aviation. I got in a plane like a week later because the funeral was in Georgia. So getting back on a plane wasn't really the issue. It was me being PIC. It was me being pilot in control pilot in command, knowing what I was going to do if something happened. I mean, I practice engine failures all the time. I practice what you're going to do in the case of emergency. It makes you a better pilot, but not that my parents and Eric, the other gentleman that was in the plane, were bad pilots. Two of them were military, two of them were airline. Everybody knew exactly what they were doing. It was a freak accident. Um, so if I had been pressured into flying for the rest for earlier years, perhaps I would have had some sort of a distaste for it. But I was not interested in being a pilot. I was interested in getting my first solo and doing something my peers didn't also know how to do. I mean, as all of us, we were teenagers and we we're like, I want to know something my peers don't know how to do. So you become good at something. And I was uniquely presented with the opportunity to become a pilot. <laughs> so I did it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, eight months flying after the accident was, was there like a fear like walk us through the first time that you were like, okay, I think now is a time that I feel comfortable getting kind of back and being in that position again. It, it wasn't, I don't even know the thought that came with it again. It was eight years ago. So I don't all remember all the details, but my, so because I was 17, I wasn't actually adopted by my new family. They just kind of guardianship me. I mean, with love, but they kind of were just running out the clock until I turned 18, because why would you go through all of the paperwork and heartache? of dealing with a full-on adoption when really we could all just agree on a common law of like guardianship until she's 18 sort of thing. So my adopted parents, uh, the dad at least is also a pilot. So we all got to know each other because I grew up with their kids. We went to the same church together and my dad and their dad was all, were also pilots. So we all flew together really frequently. So at some point, Grant, my adopted dad was like, hey, are you ready to fly again? And I was like, sure, why not? I didn't even think twice about it, honestly. And he might be able to recount that differently. I don't totally remember. Um, but I flew with him again for the first time in a small plane after the crash. And it was about eight months. And I was like, cool, it was fine. But I was in college. Well, no, at the time I was, I was still in high school and we flew with my friends and other things. But it wasn't until after I was already in college and decided that I wanted to be a teacher that I was like, hmm, maybe I'd like to keep flying. So it was kind of just a keep it current keep it um, on the back burner, but I never wanted to do anything with it. So getting back in the cockpit was not unusual for me because it wasn't the trajectory that I was planning on taking with my life. It was just sort of a fun hobby that was like, oh yeah, this is my family's thing. So you may as well keep going with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, 17, losing both parents. I, that is just something that I honestly came and wrap my head around. Was there something that particular, maybe a passion, a person, an idea, a concept that kind of stuck with you in that moment to help you on the hard days or through this chapter of your life or period? I mean, so since my mom was among the first of the women to be hired by a major airline, so they're her class of women, her little sisterhood, it was a mini sorority kind of, of girls that had accomplished this goal back in the 80s when it wasn't very popular for women to be pilots. So my godmother is a part of that group. I've got aunts and godmothers all within that section, I guess. So they encouraged me greatly in the, I mean, they're not my pilots. It's just a bad incident that happened. We don't really know, um, you know, keep flying if you want to, we'll support you. And they're all airline pilots as well. They're since retired and we get together every year for a ski trip and they invite me every year. And it's really fun to get to connect with my mom's greatest friends. Um, I think the large part was, it was my faith that it was like, well, it was going to happen. So whether it happened on the way there, whether it happened something else, I mean, I would, I just got a lot of peace knowing that that was their time and whatever happens, happens. Um, but also they died doing what they loved and they died together. I could not imagine one without the other. They were a very unique couple in that they did a lot together. I mean, my mom had her scrapbooking friends aside from that, but even if she had pilot friends, they got along with my dad because my dad was also a pilot. If my dad had a friend that was also a pilot, they got along with my mom because she was also a pilot. So it was kind of they, they had their own things separate of each other, but they were very few and far between. They were a unique couple that everything they did revolved around each other. They were stupid madly in love and everything they did around revolved around each other, me and flying. And that was their world, which I thought was awesome. So 
frankly, I got a lot of peace just knowing that they died together doing what they loved. And that was, that's it. Yeah. I mean, I love that. I love hearing about, um, their relationship. I mean, just that, that's like, so cute. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. Like, that's <laughs> yeah, they're adorable. precious. Let me tell you. Yeah. Like that's actually adorable. Um, and you mentioned that four months after the accident that you actually won Miss Teen, was it Miss Teen, um, Miss like, Teen Arizona. And it was okay, two, Miss Teen Arizona. Two it was after. two months after. Okay. It was yes. April. So I think that's a good segue to kind of get into how you got involved in the pageant world. Did you, yeah, I know your parents were both pilots. So, and you said, mentioned that they didn't really know anything about that world. So where did this interest spark from? My mom had done like two pageants back when she was 18 and she was never going to be the mom that forced me to be in pageantry. She was going to be the mom that put me in a cockpit instead, <laughs> which I thought was even better. Um, she won Miss Congeniality 1975 or something. So basically she's just Sandra Bullock, <laughs> but, um, she won that and I still have her trophy to this day. It's sitting on my shelf in my room with the rest of my years of pageantry accolades. And my dad was just, he again, madly in love with this woman. He was just bragging on her. He was like, this is voted on by your peers. It doesn't matter what the judges say. It doesn't matter what your teachers say. It matters about how you make people feel and how um, they notice that about your personality and the way that uh, you treat others. So take that with you and run with it. It's sort of a your mom's great, but be nice to other people, sort of a lesson. We've all had that sort of speech from our parents before. Um, I thought it was cool. So a brochure came to the house at some point for a national American Miss pageant. And I was like, why not this? Because the crown was pretty. To 13 year old Sam, that made perfect sense. I was like, the crown is pretty, let's do that. <laughs> so my mom goes, okay. I mean, she hadn't done pageantry in 40 years and was like, well, I guess we'll figure out what we're going to do now. So we found ourselves a coach and my mom learned how to do hair and makeup and we kind of did it together. It was a girly thing for us to do. I mean, our family, the three of us did the flying thing together. Mom and dad and I did flying. Mom and I did flying. Dad and I did flying. I needed something girly for mom and I to do together because, you know, teenage mothers and daughters kind of butt heads a lot. I am exactly like her. And I've got like five friends that I know to this day that are very close with me and they knew my parents and they're like, oh my God, you're being Sherry. Okay, got it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for letting me know. I'm turning in my mother. And there are many things about her that I would love to emulate. They're, they're just every once in a while, I have like a short temper and I'm going, okay, that was mom. We need to dial it back a little bit. <laughs> um, so this brochure came to the house. My mom said, let's get our feet wet. So we did. And I found a coach and I got some mentors and figured out what I wanted to work with and what I wanted to speak on. And it wasn't until after my parents died that I wanted my platform to be women in aviation or aviation in general. Up until then, it was like special needs kids or something, which is what I was passionate about at the time. But I remember sitting down for my Miss, Air, my Miss Teen Arizona interview and I had already submitted my paperwork like three months in advance. So this was, my mom had helped me submit this paperwork and they set up, you know, they're like, oh, tell us about, um, oh, whatever program it was I was working with at the time. And me being the a little bit rough around the edges, kind of a calloused child and fiercely independent, almost to a detriment, looked at them and they were like, oh, tell me about your platform. And I'm going, oh, so I changed my platform because my parents died two months ago in a plane crash. So now I'm just deciding to change my platform altogether to like this aviation thing. And their faces just <laughs> white as ghosts. And many of them were professional adults. So they were parents themselves. And half of them, I was looking at them and they were looking at me like as if I was their own child and they just started bawling. And I'm going, I don't really know how to handle the emotions of this person that's supposed to be interviewing me for a potential job of Miss Teen Arizona that I want. And you're crying. Like, I only have two and a half minutes in this interview. Let's go wrap it up. <laughs> You're like, I should be the one that's showing the emotion. And they're like, there, there's a lot to unpack. Like, what are you supposed like, to do there? Your brain does a great job of protecting you from trauma until it's ready. So it's almost like, you know, when you pour a boiling pasta bowl into the, um, into the, what is that word? Like the drainer, like the, yeah, the, yes, the drain thing. You pour it into that. And so your brain sifts through all of it. So it lets go of the stuff that's just not important anymore. Any of the high school stuff, he said, she said, the little high school petty little drama went away. I was going, I've got to get from A to B. 
And right now, A to B means writing a speech, playing violin, and flying across the country to bury my parents. We got to go from A to B. And it was fight or flight in some ways, um, literally. <laughs> and that was what I was doing. So I sat in that interview and I was like, well, I've changed my mind on what I want to advocate for because my parents just died and they had no idea how to handle that. So honestly, my brain didn't even start processing any of it until like three years in. So even though it's been eight years, I feel like I'm only five years into the journey of it. And I will just have to check the mental health box of like, your grief is never over. Go see a therapist and talk about it and normalize it. And just, even if you don't think that you need it, at least go to them, like, I don't know, once a month, every other month or something like that. Just keep them updated on your life so that when ish really does go down, <laughs> they're caught up and you're ready to go. Yeah. I to- um, totally feel that when it comes to trauma, um, doesn't really hit you until who knows when. Um, but yeah, yeah. Like, so I like one of the things I learned from like my own personal experiences is like, I really got wrapped up in the moment of trying to figure out if what happened to me was supposed to happen to me. And I just try to answer that question. And what I come, what I came to terms with and kind of learned from honestly through this podcast and other people who've had hardship is that maybe it's not so much about was this supposed to happen, but what I'm going to do with it. Do you kind of feel like that approach when it came to this interview and kind of this change of heart? Mm -hmm. It's one of those. So you've been dealt these cards. You weren't going to not be dealt these cards. So what are you going to do now? It's kind of like you make your plan and you hear God laughing. So God has laughed enough times and you're kind of like, all right, well, I'm going to stop making a plan and just let you do you. And I'll just roll with the punches at this point. (laughs) It is. um, There have been a couple of moments that I've been like, oh, so that's why this happened. And I might never know. And that's okay too. I'm learning to not know all the answers, which is (laughs) a battle in and of itself. But it's the idea that, so uh, I was on a medical missions trip in India couple of years back. And a lot of folks in foreign countries, when you go on medical missions trips, they, they hate on that idea because you're going to go in for two weeks, post about it on Instagram and leave. And you're not going to do any good. There's no lasting impact on the community that you've helped. And you felt good about yourself for about three weeks. And then you're going back to your everyday life in your first world country. Albeit that's very true in many instances. And in this room, I was speaking to, um, for some reason, it was just a group of like 30 women and they kind of were looking at me like, all right, so this American's going to be here for two weeks and what are you going to do? And I didn't really know quite what I was going to say to them, but I had the floor. So I was like, all right, kids, let's talk. And it was everywhere between like eight years old to 40 something year olds. I had a wide audience that was, I didn't really know what to do with this group of women. They were waiting to be seen by the doctor and I'm not a medical professional at all. So I was just, you know, handing out vitamin C and lice treatments and just talking a little bit about their lives, sort of. And then I realized I was like, in the traditional American sense, I'm in the minority. Most kids my age were not orphaned at a young age. There, all the time. I mean, they have one, if not both parents have been uh, died in, in military service or from some illness and things that we as a first world country can kind of curb with Western medicine and access to a, at least a somewhat decent healthcare system and better than others, albeit. So I was like, well, let's level the playing field. And they were a little skeptical of me. So I kind of used that story to be the relatable person to speak to them that week. And it was awesome. I mean, they almost immediately changed their perspective and their disposition towards me and the rest of the team entirely, which I thought was really cool. And even in this past year, I unfortunately have had several friends that have lost parents and other family members, grandparents and whatnot throughout a little while. And I'm wondering if maybe I'm just supposed to be the person that went through it a couple years earlier and can offer advice, even though someone's my friend who recently lost her dad, I don't know, about four months ago, maybe. I was like, she's telling me things that are more beneficial to me than it is to her at this moment. So it's almost, we each have our own therapists and for sure, uh, but we're gaining a lot from our own relationship by mentoring and going through the same trauma together, but separately, but eight years apart. So I can offer some advice and then she can offer me like a new perspective on it. And I'm going, that's still applicable eight years later. And you've only been in this for four months. So get ready. And then there's other moments that I'm like, oh yeah, that's going to hit you like a ton of bricks in about three months. Let's start prepping for it now. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I mean, so can you like overall make like a general statement that this 
personal hardship has made you more of a like empathetic person, especially? It has. It's made me more of an empathetic person. It's although I can be very abrasive and rough around the end, just overall, it's made me very empathetic and very, um, yeah, I suppose that's the word for it. Yeah. Honestly though, I, I like, sometimes I'm like, I should have more empathy towards this person, but at the same time, I'm like, Oh, like, come on. Like we're fine. Like yeah. depending on the situation. Cause I'm just like, um, I've learned when to use my empathy. I'll say that <laughs> you have a higher threshold for yes. what's bad. So you have a bad day. Everybody has bad days, but then you're like, all right, you pulled your ish together after your parents died. This is not the end of the world. Moving on. Next thing. I, okay. I'm going to start. Us- I don't know how to like summarize, but okay. Higher threshold. I got it. Okay. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> which means, which means sometimes when people that have what they would consider a, a really bad situation happening, you have to remember that you can't compare your trauma to somebody else's. What is big for them is big for them because we're all in the same storm, in the same ocean. Some people have a kayak, some people have a paddleboard, some people have a yacht. And so what you're used to is very different. So it it makes me more empathetic person, but I struggle sometimes with empathy because I was like, oh, this is not a big deal. Moving on, honey bunches. <laughs> okay, so, yes. You like, mindful of that as well. You, you are so speaking my language, like absolutely. And it's hard to remind yourself being like, okay, like this is the amount of pain that they've experienced is like, this is their top. And like your top's different. Mm-hmm. Um, totally agree. And like, I'm so eye to eye with you on that one. Um, yeah, so like, so just going back to the, post to um two months post like first pageant back or first pageant that you um won without your parents like what what really is like the pageant world like like I would love to open up that Pandora's box about it because I mean you mentioned Miss Congeniality that's also something I'm vaguely know I love that movie Great movie <laughs> um, it's recently been put back on Netflix and I'm so good <laughs> I like and I'm like do you answer questions because the winner of that pageant like her answer was one of the most quotable answers in the whole movie about the jacket. April 25th. Yeah, April 25th. (laughs) I'm like, like, she won. (laughs) Uh, Love it. But yeah, I I just would love to just dive into that. So you mentioned that you were getting interviewed and that's kind of where you were like, okay, I'm changing actually my passion and my kind of highlight. So there is like a pre-process to the pageant. So what does the pre-process of... um, of once you're like entered in the pageant look like? Uh, Yeah, so most pageants is an overwhelming generalization, but you start at the city or county, whatever level. So Miss Blacksburg, for example, then you'd go to Miss Virginia. Then from Miss Virginia, you'd either go to Miss whatever is next. Is it Miss USA? Is it Miss United States? Is it Miss Strawberry Pageant? Is it uh, Miss America? Whatever it is, you go, so city or region or county, state and then nationals. And sometimes nationals goes on to worlds. For example, Miss USA goes on to Miss Universe. Miss America and I do not go on to anything else. So this is the highest that we can go. So when I finally did achieve this goal, I was like, this has been a decade long and this is it. So we pull all the loads and like, so what's next? And I'm going, what do you mean what's next? This is the highest I can go. I'm stoked about it. Leave me alone. <laughs> um, I mean, like I said before, my mom got me a coach. And so you find somebody to help you with your walking and your talking and your physique and your paperwork and your headshots. It's very similar to just a acting audition, I suppose. You show up with your headshot and your information. And for months in advance, you have prepared this uh spiel of what you're going to say which is why the judges knew what I what they thought I was going to say until I sat down and probably turned their world upside down a little bit um so you turn it all in ahead of time you practice the walking and the talking you've got swimsuit evening gown on stage question interview and sometimes there is a community service component sometimes there's uh, a GPA some of the scholarship based pageants uh, are very GPA heavy um sometimes you don't do um, on stage question and you do a personal statement instead. And then if, and when you make top 10 or top five, then you have the opportunity to give your personal statement again. Then the judges will ask you a question, either a preformed question that kind of levels a playing field to everybody, or they will ask a question based on your personal statement. So that way you can get a question that's catered to something that you want to talk about. You're like, Oh yeah, I'm a pilot. What's new. And they're like, what's your favorite color? Well, 
that's not helpful. I've got a master's degree. Let's talk about something a little bit more than that, please. Uh, so uh, you go through months and months and months of preparation. For example, I had my interview and wardrobe and paperwork coach was all the same person. I worked with one girl. She was a, a former Miss Colorado. And then I had my friend Ashley do my hair and makeup. She's actually a Hokie as well. She was Miss Virginia USA 2017, 2018. Don't quote me on it. She's also a Hokie. So I got to know her because we trained with the same trainer for a while. So she came and did my hair and makeup and everything. Um, and then your physique trainer, of course, he's actually in the Roanoke area. So I drove to see Craig multiple times a week to work with him and talk about nutrition and talk about swimsuit and walking and that sort of thing. And he has like a side room where you can walk with the stairs so you can get dressed and all of that. So there's months and months and months and hours and hours and hours and an exorbitant amount of money going into this one hobby, hobby uh, for about a total of five minutes on stage. Yeah. Yeah. I think like from an outsider's perspective, I mean, I grew up watching the pageant, so I would ask my mom like very basic questions. And she just was like, I remember I was like, this is all they're judging them off of is like this one question, this one walk. She's like, no, no, no. Like there's a whole like background process that we don't see. Mm -hmm. Um, do you wish like audiences had more insight to like what you guys do in the background rather than just like this five minutes of on TV or on stage or whatever, maybe? Yes and no. I like that you, I, I judge because I don't know the background. I enjoy as a spectator seeing, and I watch these like a sport too. Like I've got my ledger, I'm ready to go and I've got my top five and I've got everything just, yeah, it's really fun to watch. Um, so I like it because I can objectively look at her in that dress. Do I like it? Do I not? I don't know the backstory. I don't know who she is. I don't know what she's advocating for at all until after she's opened her mouth. And now the judges have seen you for a full week. They've seen your interview. They've seen your preliminaries as well. So by the time we see it all on TV, they've already got who the top 10 is or top whatever um, in their minds. So they, what, what you're saying is this very polished per, uh, performance idea of in two hours on national television, what can we fit in? Let's go. So you've spent a week of competing and months before that preparing your opening number and everything else. So they call you and then you're at top 10 all of your scores except for interview are wiped away. So your interview score still carries through. And that's the one piece that everybody else doesn't get to see. So we don't know who you are, what you're about and what you stand for, which means I can very objectively, uh, sometimes they even change the panel of judges too, to make it even more of a mix of people that are like, oh, I work in fashion, oh, I work in business, oh, I work in this. So your interview scores are already said and done. You don't get to do that again. Um, they call top 10 or top whatever. And your scores are wiped clean except for interviews. So your interview carries through, but the judges don't know what your interview score already was. They don't speak to each other about what they've done. It, they do a lot to ensure anonymity, which I think is great because different day, different judges, different outcome. It is very subjective, which is annoying sometimes too for the contestants because you're like, what did I do wrong? Why don't they love me? And I will talk about like picking that apart as a young girl is an issue. Every single girl I'm sure has looked in the mirror and been like, I can't do this anymore because somebody told them they can't, whether they can't do something, whether they can't be something, they aren't what they like. They don't like what they see, whatever it is. Pageantry can help that a lot. And I think I was one of the few that came out of it in a very positive way that I was like, it gave me confidence when I needed it the most. Some women go home and they pick themselves out apart even further because a set of random judges decided they didn't like them. And now they don't like themselves. So I was one of the fortunate ones that came out of that uh, in a positive way, as opposed to a more of a detrimental way. That doesn't mean we don't have our days for sure. Oh, I'm sorry. ADHD. Let me say, uh, so, uh, then the, your judges, you, your interview scores stay the same. You recompete again, swimsuit and evening gown from there, they will call the top five. And then you get the chance to open your mouth one more time. And your score for interview is already set. Your score for evening gown and swimsuit has already been set. Now it's time to share your heart with what you want to say with the judges and the rest of national television that's watching. And that is where sometimes we get a glimpse into what the girl stands for. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes it's a preconceived notion of like, or a, pre a premeditated question rather, that is, if you were at a protest and you had a blank sign, what would you put on that sign? If you were a baseball player and you had a walkout song, what would your walkout song be? If you were a flavor of ice cream, what would you be and why? 
How do you feel about climate change? How do you feel about Roe v. Wade? I mean, we go as basic as flavor of ice cream and as in-depth as gun control, environmental, and Roe v. Wade. Like we will go really hard into it, which makes it really difficult to be, if you if you try and please everybody, you will please nobody. So you have to give a an answer that expresses your opinion and how you feel about it, but that's also palatable enough that you haven't adversely affected the rest of your audience. And how do you do that? Which I will tell you creates for a classic people pleaser. I mean, yeah, I was actually going to ask you, like, do you, I am sure you remember like every single question you've been asked on stage. A good chunk of them. What was your, what was your Miss um, United States one? Oh, so I had given my PPP, which is your personal platform promise. It was my statement about what I would do if I was crowned. And I talked about my parents and dealing with grief and talking about women in aviation and all of that. And the woman that gave me my question, it was something to the effect of not if, but when you experience hardships, what do you do about it or something like that. And I remember telling her that when I first won my very first Miss United States title, I was Miss Teen Arizona. It was Miss Teen Arizona, United States. So that summer, <coughs> I went on to Miss United States as a teen and I had the opportunity to compete. Didn't do well at all, but it was a good distraction that year. That was like the, the best and the worst year of my life. My parents had just died. I was going through a lot of firsts on my own, a new family, a new home, a new everything was so bizarre to me. Miss United States being Miss Teen Arizona gave me something else to do, a good distraction, a good something. And I had achieved this goal of mine. Fast forward eight years, I'm back on that stage again as Miss Arizona at Miss United States, eight years after my parents died. And I was asked, um, like, what do you do? And I said, take it at your own pace. Don't let somebody dictate the amount of time it takes you to process it because frankly, you're never done with it. And I made a comment about how long I had been with the Miss United States system and that they had gotten me through some of the hardest years of my life previously. And I'd love to be a title holder for them and advocate for other young women that are also going through their own hardships and getting to be that at a national level. And that resonated with the judges. Yeah, I'm like, okay, give her the crown. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, uh, is question like definitely the most nerve wracking you think or interview or what do you think? I like interview because I like a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Sometimes you get a panel interview where they'll just fire questions at you and they really just want to see how well you perform under pressure. Um, when I won Miss Arizona, actually, Miss Teen Arizona, I keep saying Miss, like I'm not previously. And I get bothered when people don't have the title right. So now that I'm not getting my own previous title right, I'm bothering my own self. When <laughs> um, I was Miss Teen Arizona, the answer that I won on was, should title holders have tattoos? And 17-year-old Sam said no. And I now have two. I've got this one. It's my mom's voice recording. So my mom had called for tower clearance. This was the day of the crash, the morning of and she called for tower clearance and they gave her clearance to take off. And she said, Roger that Delta Juliet. And I kept it and I loved it. And then I also have one on my side here. That is my parents and I, we all three have the same initials. So I have SA and a little airplane. And at the time that I was 17, because I was speaking for the teen division only, you cannot speak for the Ms., the Mrs., the Ms. woman, the Miss or anything else. You can speak for the division that you are in. As a teen, I was like, you are still a minor. No, title holders should not have tattoos. And I won with one and I got one halfway through my year. And it's one of those people don't even believe me that I'm Miss United States because they're like, you have tattoos, you can't be. Or they see me at four o'clock in the morning at an airport without makeup on, like I look right now. And they're like, there's no way. Like she's Miss United what do you mean? Like she should be flying, flying a private jet right now. Like if I'm gonna fly privately, it's gonna be me flying the plane. I just don't have access to one right now. <laughs> Oh my it's gosh. Funny. Yeah, title holders can have tattoos. There's a lot of, again, the, the dispelling of misconceptions. You don't have to be tall. I'm five foot four. You don't have to have a perfect whatever it is. Um, you don't have to be little Miss Pageant Patty or whatever. And you can have tattoos. I mean, plenty of the rest of my Miss United States, my Ms., my Ms. woman, and my Mrs., and me, four of the eight of us have tattoos. Be. Yeah whoever you are and whatever you are, if they choose you, they've chosen you for a reason because you were unapologetically, authentically yourself, take it or leave it.
Yeah. I mean, I love that. And also I love your tattoos. I like got my first tattoo and I was like, okay, this will be it. No, they're addicting. (laughs) I literally love them. Um, I mean, yeah, you hit upon like a little bit about misconceptions. I would love to dive even deeper into some of the misconceptions in the pageant world. Um, we talked a little bit about like the physical ones, like you said, tattoos, the height, um, what other big misconceptions do you, I mean, small platform, but do you want to squash right here now? Oh, one of them is like, oh, but do you even eat? And I'm like, of course I do. Moving on. (laughs) Like I enjoy having drinks with my friends. I enjoy having quesadillas. I go to the gym because I enjoy consuming food. And, and I know sometimes as an athlete, you get weird comments and weigh-ins and all of these different things that are important to being a healthy individual, but the swimsuit competition is often like a, it's not very feminist because it's almost like it's objectifying women. And I've never found it to be, I've never felt that way. Plenty of women do. And that is your opinion. What Absolutely. Um, but it, I like it because it gives me motivation. I mean, there's nothing more to get your behind out of bed and into the gym than knowing you're going to perform something, whether it's at a game, whether it's on stage in front of 500 people, a thousand people, 1500 people, and whoever is watching from their home. So I've always thought it was motivational and it was a way for me to be my best self. I am five foot four, 120 pounds. That's really not going to change a whole lot. And if you're five foot eight and you weigh more than that, that's perfectly okay because you're supposed to because your height and weight should be within a range of normalcy not within some five foot nothing twig little human and I yeah don't amen that definitely um and like also I mean Virginia Tech might like just like have the best pageant people but Camille she was Miss America yep. um I forget what year but like I feel like another maybe common mis- misconception is like the education and like the academic side of things like you women are just brilliant like super intelligent do you ever feel like there's misconceptions in that category as well oh yeah I don't usually if somebody meets me outside of the context of being Miss United States I don't mention it because I want to make sure that you don't think that I have the IQ of a chocolate eclair before you get to know me And if you know me in the aviation world, I don't mention it because I lose credibility very quickly. Um, You know, so if I am in this, in the Miss United States world and folks ask a little bit about my background, I go to mention that I fly planes and I've got a master's degree and immediately they're like, what? Wow. My life on other things besides this one year. What did you think I was going to do? Just sit around from infancy until I won this one thing that my year was over. And then I went back to being a nobody. I've got other things to do people. (laughs) (laughs) And they're not satisfied. They're like, so what next? And you're like, no, like I did it. You're like, so so what next? What are you going to do next? And I was like, I don't know. I'm going to be a flight instructor. Just (laughs) It's so bizarre. So if I'm in the world, I try and mention more intellectual things. And if I'm in the intellectual world or the aviation world or something else, I don't mention that I'm in the United States until after people at least hear me speak because all the time, or you'll get a picture, you take a picture randomly with somebody at the airport. It's like, oh, she was so nice. What did you think it was going to be? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's actually funny. Like, oh yeah, she was surprisingly nice. Like, no, they're not just robots. <laughs> um, do you just think robots. like, you and like the other contestants and past winners and future winners are working towards of having a world that is um cohesive with naturally associating winners and these people who compete in pageants as smart independent intelligent women Uh, i think so i think we're headed in a very positive direction and there are some pageant systems that have gotten rid of even certain phases of competition to try and keep more with the times and i think that's cool uh, personally, I like having the swimsuit competition, but if you got rid of it because it's not your style, it's not your style, man. Great. <laughs> Find a system that matches what you are and what you have and the morals and the values that you uphold because you've got a lot to choose from. There's Miss Volunteer Pageant, there's Miss America, there's Miss United States, there's Miss USA. There's so many options that you can choose from that you find one that aligns with what you want to put out there. And if it is authentically you, you will perform well in that system. If it's not you and you're trying to fit some pageant patty cookie cutter idea of it, it, you're not going to win because you did not present yourself for those judges. So I think we are heading in a very positive direction of real, authentic, and accomplished women that do. And accomplished can look in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I love that. Um, 
totally a big supporter over here. Um, I'm like, I'm like, I wish I kind of got more into it, <laughs> but um, kind of going more deep dive into your Miss United States experience specifically. I would love to just hear kind of the preparation, but also like the moment that your name was announced and you're like, I am Miss United States. Like I just, oh, like that sounds so amazing. So um, if you could just walk us through that, that would be great. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. So I, the last time I was on the Miss United States stage, it was 2019 and I had made top 10 and I was happy with that. Then I took 2020 off and I came back in 2021 to throw my name in the hat one more time, just because I couldn't. I was like, I miss pageantry. I want to go back to it. Let's do it. Um, I loved it. I was so stoked about it. And I was like, this is me. I've been working very hard on the whole. This is me. Sort of like a Demi Lovato moment. This is me. Uh, take it or leave it. If I'm a little rough around the edges, if I'm a little callous, I'm a little abrasive, that's fine. But it's because for so often, for so many women, we are told you can't and you won't and you whatever because you're a girl or because you're small or because you're whatever it is for so long, we get a little chip on our shoulder. Absolutely. And the fact that I've even internalized that more, knowing how many times, knowing the crude comments I get from guys now in aviation of, uh, don't be in aviation and go home and get married and have babies. Like if you don't have a kid, you're doing the worst thing a woman could ever possibly do. And that drives me bonkers, by the way, don't even get me started on it. Um, but if I'm getting those comments now in 2022, how much worse, and I know some of the stories and some of them you just don't talk about, honestly, because you'd rather not dwell on it, but it is a good lesson to hear from my mom and from some of those first classes of women, the comments that they got back in the eighties. The 80s were not that long ago, but it's also a ridiculous amount of time for women to have been excluded from entire career simply because of their gender. And also, by the way, I have never found a plane that you fly with your genitals, so it doesn't really matter. Oh, okay, okay. That's, that is like my that's favorite the comment. best comment. That's literally <laughs> the best comment ever. I it's love my it. favorite. They're like, I would literally jump out of a plane if I saw a female pilot. And I was like, well, I've never found a plane you fly with your genitals, so you let me know how that goes for you. I literally love that so much. I went on a little bit of a rant, but so no, I, I'm like here for it. <laughs> we get rough around the edges because we're told we can't for so long. And the moment that my name was called, so it's a, my head runs in songs. So it's like, say my name, say my name. Don't say my name really is what it is. So they call fourth, third, second, and first runner up. And so you do not want your name to be called. It called it all. So it was California and me standing there and we were both nervous, but we were like kind of calm, just like, it's already done. Why worry about it now? And you did your best, you like God did the rest. And so you're kind of just sitting there and you're just parallel to each other, holding hands, freaking out, legs shaking, you're hungry, you're tired, your eye itches. And you're like, Wait, I can't do anything about it. My eye itches. <laughs> it's, it's a whole moment. And then they said, and the first runner up is California. And that moment I was like, holy crap. <laughs> this is that, that's, they didn't say my name. Are you sure? They, they that was not my name and then I stood back because far too many people get overlooked when you're the first runner up because the winner is so excited and usually it's this very over the top and warranted oh my god I just won super excited moment and my face looks so strange with that I'm really glad this is an audio podcast <laughs> um, <laughs> won't go anywhere <laughs> uh, you get so excited and so caught up with the winner that the first runner up gets brushed to the side. And that is a huge accomplishment. You have made it right up to, and they trust you that if something happens to the winner, that first runner up is qualified and ready to not crack under pressure and to be the winner if need be. So I stepped aside and I let Amanda go forward and she got her flowers and everything. And then they said, your 2021 United States Queen is Samantha Anderson. Is it is Miss Arizona Samantha Anderson? And at that moment, I was like, "You actually heard your name." And then you can tell in the video that I started to shake and cry a little bit. And then I remember my friend Miss Maryland was in the audience filming it too, so it was really great to hear her in the background. She's like, ah! and "It was obnoxious." So every time I show somebody the video, I have to like mute it. <laughs> like Rachel, you're screaming. Um, and then they put the crown on my head, and it was too big for my head, so it fell over my head a little bit like that so I tried to fix it but I'm crying and I'm laughing and I've got flowers and a sash and I'm like you're supposed to be waving and then they're handing me a microphone and I'm going I have I'm out of hands I'm out of hands here like what am I supposed to do and so I turned around and my crown fell even more like 
completely lopsided over my head, like over my nose. I was just about going to wear it as a choker. And then my predecessor comes up to me and the MC as well. And they're like, how are we going to get this thing to stay on our head? She's supposed to give remarks right now. Like I was supposed to speak something somewhat eloquently at this point after just having a 10 year long dream come true. Um, my fourth runner up, um, Tabitha Ivan, Miss Oregon. She also was awarded Miss Congeniality. And this is the reason why she was voted on by her peers as the sweetest woman. And this is exactly the reason why she had her hair in this beautiful updo that was going on with a albeit a boatload of bobby pins going on she comes up to me and she's pulling bobby pins out of her own bun handing them to my predecessor and my predecessor is putting them in my hair to get my crown to stay on and then she goes back to the lineup of fourth third second and first runner up and she goes all right we're good and she just sits there with her flowers and her everything else and i'm like that's it everybody says whatever they want to say about pageant girls and how we have nothing going on upstairs the elevator only goes all the way halfway up whatever it is they have to say about you that was the perfect moment of why she was voted miss congeniality and the selflessness of pageant women as a whole there's going to be one or two in every crowd that will ruin it for everybody and that's going to be true with everything but for the most part the women that i'm surrounding myself with and the women that i compete you do not compete against them you compete with them um are tabitha level women that are going to go and support you even though she did not lose she just made top five that's a huge accomplishment but there's only one crown and she's still willing to give up herself and her own hairdo i'll be <laughs> to to help the crown stay on my head oh my god i love that story um everyone be a tabitha when someone needs it um new hashtag be a tabitha be a tabitha hashtag that trademark it i love it oh my gosh i mean that moment just seems surreal and like i mean also good for you for also giving the first runner up her moment and all the respect and power and highlight or shine that she deserved then there um i mean wow like that's i mean so chaotic as well but (laughs) but i love it why would it go any other way (laughs) it it really is and it took me probably four months of saying hi i'm samantha anderson miss united states for it to be real and even now i'm encroaching on the last five weeks don't even talk about it of my year and i'm like look in the mirror every single day and say i'm samantha anderson miss Miss united states because at the end of this year i'm gonna have to say I'm Samantha Anderson, Miss United States 2021. But no one can take that away. Like, let me tell you. It what is. a year. I know. Like what a year. What was the highlight of this whole experience? Like of this year? Gosh, I've gotten to do so many cool things. Um, I've gotten to, to get flown out in the Hartzell propeller plane before. I've gone to Formula One races and I've gone Oh, overseas. I'm getting ready to hit my 30th country next month, which I'm very excited about. Oh, let's see. I, I've given speeches. I've written letters of recommendation. Actually, one of the coolest things was there was this girl that I did an interview for in a letter of recommendation for a women in aviation scholarship. She had lost her dad recently and she was like, I kind of want to fly, but I don't really know. And so she starts doing this interview with me and I tell her about my parents and she goes, oh my gosh, really? Like my, I lost my dad like a few months ago. i what's it like and so I'm going oh this is maybe another opportunity for me to talk about my experience this is not even the same friend I was mentioning earlier this is just another one of them so I give her the interview and we talk about it and I write her a letter of rec and uh, she got the scholarship and she sent me a little note when I was at the Oshkosh air show which was also a really cool thing and I got to fly inverted while I was there which was awesome um with the Phillips 66 aerostars team which was really cool um let's see so she got the scholarship and she made me these handmade airplane earrings which was really sweet and a a really lovely thank you letter and she was all excited about it she now works at uh, an fbo which is she works at an airport and she's starting flight training she just passed her medical so she's doing the the little steps here and there to get her way towards a pilot's license and i was like i was just a sliver of that accomplishment and i'm already stoked to even be a part of it so that was really neat yeah oh my god you have your you don't always get to see the um the the fruits of your labor or anything that you do come to fruition and you may never know the impact that you have on somebody else's life and it might not matter um but every once in a while you get to see the impact of it and it's really rewarding and it's cool and you're like okay i did it oh my gosh yeah. this must be what other mentors feel like i see why they keep doing it because 
I mean, selfishly, it makes you feel good. And then you're like, I made a difference in another woman's life. Let's keep doing it. I love that. Oh my gosh. I love that. Um, you, you are like on track for your pilot, your private pilot license, correct? I am. Yep. Okay. So what's like the next, what, what does that entail? What is, what's the next step? Oh, so I've been flying forever, obviously. Right. Years. And actually I'm looking here at the living room floor and I've got notes and folders and headsets and foggle glasses. I did, I did a flight this morning and I had to put on my foggle. So it like blocks out, um, your field of vision for outside the cockpit and you have to fly exactly what's on your instrument panel alone. So I've got three instruments and they're like, fly the airplane. Okay. Um, so my private pilot's license is my next goal that I've been working on. I've done two solos since then, and I've got, um, a solo on Thursday. So after this, I will be studying my behind off practicing maneuvers and engine failures and that sort of thing. Um, after that, I'm so it's, it's a lot of studying, it's a lot of flight hours, it's a very expensive hobby. So if you are going to become a pilot, please get your finances in order and apply for scholarships ahead of time because it really slows you down if you don't have your ducks in a row. Um, the next thing I would say is for for me, what I want to do is I think I want I haven't decided. Again, God has laughed too many times. I've stopped making a plan, so I'm making a very loose plan. It's like a hey Phoebe, do you have a plan? I don't even have a plot because I love friends and I quote friends. Yes, yes, I love it. <laughs> uh, so I don't even have a plot, but I'm going to tell you what my plot is, and that's to become a flight instructor for a little while, because I've always thought that it was, I've had several male flight instructors, uh, my dad included, but I've also had female flight instructors as well, and my mom being one of them, and my current CFI, certified flight instructor, um, is a lady, and I love it, and I think it'd be really cool to be another CFI, so that if there are young girls that come through, I have the opportunity to encourage them hands-on, not just from a distance as a former Miss United States or as the the kid of pilots or something like that. I get to be there in the cockpit with them every day. Plus I have a master's in education, so I may as well use it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, done, you've done it all, but like, seriously, like good luck with everything. I mean, that experience is so, so incredible. And um, you've been crushing it so far from what Thank I've heard. You. So um, yeah, good luck with everything in the future. Um, I'm excited to see, see the day you finally get it. Um, yeah. And then just to kind of like close, I mean, we could talk forever. I literally still have like so many. Like, I know I, I get really long winded and I get, no, very- honestly, like, I, I love it. Like, no, no, no. I love it. Like <laughs> I could, I, I could talk forever and ever. Cause this is just something I just don't know anything about. And I could ask you millions and millions of questions and you've been so like great about answering them and just so knowledgeable, which I love. Um, but just sadly we do have to close, but, um, one cool question that I actually just was like, I need to know with you and traveling, what yeah. is the coolest place that you've been that I've ever been? Yes. <laughs> okay. So one, I think it was really cool that my mom flew me to China when I was like eight, which I thought was awesome. Cause I remember being in in the plane and my mom's like ladies and gentlemen this is your captain speak and I was like bugging the guy next to me and I was like that's my mom and he goes I don't care kid this is a 16 hour flight shut up um <laughs> that was one of them um right after I moved in with my adopted family we went to Europe which was very fun and then my freshman year of college we did New Zealand New Zealand is very high on my list of favorite places that I've been um also oh let's see you know what Quick story, I got to actually go to the crash site of my of my parents' crash. It was something that was offered to me as a, kind of a unique opportunity because um, this was a unique story, I guess. And I don't really know why they offered it to me, probably to extend the invitation for closure or something. So um, I took them up on it and I, I um, hiked down to the crash site at like a 45 degree incline. I was on my hands and knees for hours, but I got to see the exact divot in the ground where the plane crashed and um, they died in February. And so there was a lot of snow on the ground so they couldn't clean up all the debris. And I went the following spring and I actually got to find some pieces of the plane that um, some would find that very dark and depressing, but I found it very encouraging. And I mean, yeah, it was, course sad and depressing but it was like I needed something of my parents of the plane of something and I got to have it from there so I think those in a a very abridged version are like some of my favorite trips yeah oh I love those 
Um, I haven't actually been out of the country, so I need, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I, I know, and I say more. that with, with privilege and everything, so I need to dial it back. No, no, like, honestly, I'm like, I don't know why I haven't, but one day, one day I'm going to go, and <laughs> I'll be, you'll be the, probably the first person to ask, like, okay, where should I go? I was going to uh, say, is there somewhere on your list in particular that you're thinking? Uh, I mean, I, okay, what I feel like, I feel like there's a difference between a trip and a vacation, and yeah. a trip is like you're there to like engage with the culture and sightseeing. And then there's a vacation where you're just like laying on a resort, like relaxing. So like the first trip, I would definitely want to go to either Thailand or Greece. Um, but I've also heard things about New Zealand. Like you're like one of the couple um, people I've talked to recently that are like New Zealand. So, I mean, that's cool. But yeah, I don't know. Um, just somewhere with culture so I can like see that. Yeah, but, I will tell yeah. you that if you want to really stretch your comfort zone and go somewhere where you don't speak the language, you're going to be out of the norm, you're going to be in the minority, um, I would say go go Asia, where like yeah. you were saying in, in Thailand, because New Zealand, it, it's good to start out your trip sometimes in a place that's familiar. So when we did Europe as a family, we started in London. We spoke the same language, mm -hmm. we looked very similar, you drive on the wrong side of the road, but I digress. You, there's little things to help you... Um, acclimate to your trip especially uh, when you're traveling with your family and you have to be careful of the little ones and that sort of thing mm -hmm. um, so start somewhere familiar and then go from there then we went to Germany after that and at least some of my family speaks German so that was helpful in way of slowly getting outside of our comfort zone but still trying to be safe so right. I would suggest somewhere that um, like Europe Europe was a great place mm -hmm. to start because you can start with people that look like you and sound like you and then you can venture out to folks that don't and then you can mm -hmm. go back to home a little bit and you can kind of bounce yeah. back and forth. And as you stretch your comfort level a little bit. All right. Yeah. I mean, it'll be honestly the, when I get out of the country, I'm going to, I'm going to show you, I'm going to be like, look where I am. Please do. Please do. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay. And then what is the best piece of advice you have ever received and who was it from? If you remember. Oh my gosh, I've gotten so much advice solicited and unsolicited over the years and take what people say on the internet with a grain of salt sometimes. Um, advice. Ugh. I had a, it, this is okay, more of a quote. I had a principal in middle school that used to say, good, better, best, never let it rest until your good is better and your better is your very, very best. And he told me that as a coach, as a mentor, as a teacher, as a principal, and it stuck with me. So in all that you do, your best and your best looks different on different days so give yourself <laughs> grace when your cup isn't all the way full on some of those days okay yes yeah I was actually told that that was also a middle school quote I think for my middle school and then the one that was like your best looks different every day was also a recent quote this summer and I was like thank you I was like whoever said that thank you so much <laughs> um okay and then with the advice kind of theme what what piece of advice would you give to someone listening Oh, I'm going to assume that the majority of your audience is Hokies. So I'm going to say, enjoy all of your college experience. And this, this may not be Miss United States speaking. This might just be a 25 year old girl speaking. There's a very short amount of time in your life that you're able to go out with your friends. You're able to hit Sharky's bingo night. You're able to hit uh, Todd's Tuesdays or whatever it is that you do. If the, if that's what you enjoy doing, I don't really care what you do or what you consume. Um, but there's a very small sliver of your life that it's acceptable to do so with your friends, almost to excess, but not at a detriment. Please be mindful of what you're doing and take care of your body, but do it. You will miss when you can do it. Like my girl gang and I, we've been, we're sorority sisters at Tech. We're still very good friends. Uh, many of whom uh, are getting married this fall. And in our group chat, we're all over the place. We're like, one of the girls, her wedding is in like 40 days and she's freaking out over it. One of them has been married for over a year and she goes, hey guys, what oven cleaner do you use? And then another one of us are like, hey, I don't know what's going on. And so we're gonna do what we want to. And she's actually one of them lives across the street from me and she's great, but do it. Go out with them because at some point you will not live within a two mile radius of your best friends and you're gonna miss it like crazy. So when you're reaching for something or someone, when life inevitably gets hard, I mean, I've got Rachel across the street, which is just a huge blessing, but the rest of them don't. Like, I mean, my girl gang specifically, we're all Hokies. Nicole lives in Colorado with her husband. Brie lives in North Carolina with her fiance. Madison lives actually two hours south of me with her fiance about to get married in October. And then Rachel lives across the street from me. So 
take advantage of the times that you can go out with your friends and make the memories. And sometimes the memories that you won't remember and that's okay too, because take the pictures and take the pictures of yourself and your friends because you will look back on it with, and this is gonna quote uh, Shit's Creek, um, but you will look back on those photos with much kinder eyes. And I mean, the wholesome ones of your friends and your family and your grouping and whatever your crew is, take them because you'll miss them one day. Oh, I love that. I mean, the advice of me, like you were telling me to go to Sharky's at Bing, or bingo at Sharky's, like more easy. I can do that. <laughs> I'm like, got it. But, I mean, there no, are I love it. Like, I love it. We used it's, to go out every night yeah. to, to do all of the fun things that, that were offered in the college town, go to your bingo, go to this, go to the scavenger hunts, go to the crawls or whatever it is that you do. Um, because there's a small sliver of your life that it's acceptable to do so. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Don't do it every single night. Please don't. But (laughs) no, Um, I totally understand. Take the picture. Enjoy it. it. Go on the event because even, even now we're 25 and we're young and we're having fun. We're also discussing the best oven cleaner to use. So (laughs) like, when did we grow up? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love it. Yeah. Like I, everyone, I'm like, I'm staying in college as long as possible. Like, absolutely. Um, so don't yeah. rush it because I'm also one to rush through things because I'm excited yes. about the next chapter. I'm so excited true. about my next trip that I will rush through the here and now. And I'm trying to learn that lesson as long as I can. And at 25, I think I've done a decent job of learning it. Also, live your life as in tomorrow is is not guaranteed. What is that Tim McGraw song? Live like you're dying, I think. It yeah, is. live like you're dying. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it. <laughs> Because, you, and I've unfortunately lived the experience of a life getting cut too short. I was thinking about what my parents were going to do when they retire, what they're going to do with this. My mom went skydiving at 50 something the Thanksgiving before she died. So she died in February. So like four months earlier in November, she went skydiving because she could. And right. yes, that's my other that one with you. you the Anderson family. I got it. I'm carrying that. I Be like it. Tabitha because you can and why not live like the Anderson family. I love it. and quote Shit's Creek, obviously. Obviously. And friends. And friends. <laughs> and friends. The best two shows. Literally. So good. Oh my God. I love it. Yes. Speaking my language. Um, and then last question, which I ask all my guests, mm-hmm. is what is one area in life that you're trying to better yourself in? Oh my gosh, how much time do you have? Pick something and point at it. <laughs> Just one. <laughs> we are we are flawed humans as a whole. Um, I'm just going to pick patience. You can always be a more patient person with yourself and with others. And I'm going to go with that because I cannot think of this other word that's driving. I'm going to go with that one too. Patience. <laughs> patience. We'll that. That's a good okay. one. I love it. No, thank Like, thank you. I love it. Um, yeah. I mean, just overall, thank you so, so much for coming on. I learned so much and just thank you for being authentic and showing your energy and your personality. You really easy to gravitate towards. So, um, you made my life and my job very easy. Um, but yeah, I mean, just to see like, and hear your story is truly inspiring. And I know my audience is going to gain so much knowledge and wisdom and honestly, like just joy from listening to you and hearing you speak. Um, and just seeing everything that you've accomplished is absolutely incredible. So just like a huge thank you. And like, honestly, and like, thank you for being a big inspiration to me. And I'm a huge Sam Anderson fan now, obviously I was before, <laughs> but now I'm like, guys, I'm going to hype you up everywhere you go. Oh, thank you. Well, that'd yeah. be great. And if I make it down the tech this fall for a game, I oh will be sure and, and shoot you a message and we can get together. Yes. I would love that. I would love that. Absolutely. Definitely. Let me know. Um, I got five weeks left and you got it. <laughs> everything into these next five weeks. Let me tell you, you got it. You got it yeah every like in the moment you're good (laughs) um but yeah thank you so much again and thank you all to listen for listening and i hope you have a great rest of your day